good afternoon or good evening and welcome to the Vanguard for Spike Big Punham Cohen. I am Matt Wright and together we are traversing the muddied waters of freedom. Okay, so it's actually Punam, but is it Poonam? It's, it's Punam. Yeah, it's, well, I, I guess it's somewhere. It's like Punam. It's big. Yeah, it's pun- yeah, but no, I have it's, to make yeah, sure no, it's I got close enough. It's, close, it's close enough. Hey, everybody, how are you doing? These are good. I like these. I intentionally don't look at the nicknames because I want to be surprised every every week. Well, I appreciate. Yeah, since you have all the access in the world to look at it, uh, I appreciate. I intentionally it. do not look at them. I I want to have this moment of joy uh, with the audience uh, every every uh, every single uh, every single episode. By the way, folks, uh, we are having some uh, issues, and by we, I mean Facebook. Uh, really not even Facebook, the streaming service we are using, the internet is having issues. Uh, so, uh, we, we will see how well this works. Um, but if we end up cutting out, uh, it's not our fault, I guess is the best way I can put that. That's the best way to put that. So how was your week, Matt? Um, my week, my week was, uh, my week was great. How about you? It was good. My week has been great. Uh, we are, um, just, I mean, the campaign just keeps getting better and better, and uh, we are getting more and more supporters. And uh, made a bunch of videos about uh, uh, qualified immunity and ending police brutality. And uh, what was the other one? Anyway, we made a lot of videos. So those have been good. <laughs> really great videos. So impactful that I can't even remember them at the moment. So. Um. Real quick, before I say what I was going to say, uh, allow me to thank. Benjamin Daniel Morris Chestnut, the 48th, for the kava that I am drinking today. It's pretty impressive that they've kept that name for 48 generations. And allow me to thank Le Bleu. Back at it. Back at it with Le Bleu. Kosher water. Kosher and made in America, just like me. Bulavanaka. Bulavanaka. This episode, of course... Got some new sponsor, actually. Uh, this episode is brought to you by the Libertarian Dad Bod Calendar, featuring some of the sexiest libertarian men to ever be libertarian and male at the same time. Um, featuring me right there and 11 other incredibly sexy libertarian men. Although this is obviously the most sexy of the libertarian men. Uh, but uh, be sure to get this at libertariandadbod.com for only $12 shipped. And if you want one signed, uh, then you... Um, just need to pay $30, and you will get one signed by me personally to you. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest-growing waffle-related caucus in the Libertarian Party. This episode is also brought to you by Black Coffee. Uh, black Coffee is organic, cold-brewed black coffee, which we will be getting samples of soon, even though I don't drink coffee, but Matt does. and uh, Matt, we will, Matt be able- will be getting samples of it soon, and he can't wait. Yeah, and it's I'm from all accounts from people not not just the people who make black coffee, but other people who drink it. It is amazingly good coffee, and uh, they are seeking to make coffee black again. When you purchase, if you want to get free shipping, use the checkout code MW. Just that, just MW at checkout, uh, and you will get free shipping. And uh, we we make like a dollar. It's pretty awesome. So, or we make our we get a percentage of the of what comes in, but you get free shipping with it. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by the Jorgensen Cohen campaign, uh, which is seeking to Joe Jorgensen and I are seeking to create a freer, safer, healthier, and happier future for you and your loved ones in your community. 
Oh, and this episode is also brought to you by Henry McMaster, who is a bitch. To anybody on Facebook who, uh, I, I think Facebook lost us for a little bit. Okay. Um, I have not seen, because I'm seeing it paused, where'd you go, and you're back. Uh, so we may be there now. Uh, if we aren't there, you can also try YouTube, which I don't believe is having any issues. Uh, YouTube was having issues before, um, no, okay. but it looks uh, like it's back. This is going to be what this might be one of those kinds of episodes where it's going to be like this. Hopefully okay. not. Hopefully that was the one hiccup and we will be sailing smoothly moving forward. Let's find so, out together. Uh, this week, it's going to be a fun adventure for everybody. It's going to be a fun adventure so week, for the whole family. I was watching um, this week. I watched all of Space Force on Netflix with oh, Steve nice. Carell. Uh, I watched all I think there's 10 episodes. I watched it and. I could have done it in a day, but you know, I was I was feeling a little lazy to binge an entire show, so I split it between two. Is it good? Uh, it is good. It is funny, and it is it's actually it's actually really well done. Um, and it they make fun of Donald Trump immensely. They're like the commander in chief is tweeting from his bathroom again. Like they, you know, who they're talking about, even oh, though yeah, they yeah. never say it. Um, and then they. Uh, they make fun of Pelosi and they have a character in their name, Pelosi, I think, which is obviously Nancy Pelosi. They make fun of Chuck Schumer and they make fun of another congression, congressional member that they just call the angry young congresswoman from New York. Oh, wow. Kim Ruff told me I absolutely need to watch it, even though she knows how busy I am. She's like, take a break and watch this. You'll love it. So it's not I'm not surprised to hear how good it is. The first season or sorry, the first episode, I was like, "Eh," because they there's no you get no closure from the first episode because it's all building up to what happens the rest of the series, because a lot of times these 30 minute comedy things will close like you, you get closure of something by the end of the episode right that right right just, it's all build and then on the uh the rest of the season it just it's worth it it is worth a watch okay well i'm gonna have to check that out then when i have time to watch an entire series which like, will okay, probably look, be I in november you're running for you're running for vice president of the united states or whatever yeah, yeah whatever uh, but you can't take five hours it's 10 episodes 30 minutes each do you know the last time i had five hours to do something on a day that wasn't but see that's the problem with me i'm gonna watch it and be like i need to know what happens next especially when it's in like 30 minute shots like that i'm gonna be like i have that's the problem one more play one more yeah and i'm gonna be like you know telling like turning down the interview like i know we had an interview set but i just got a thing it's really important it's super important i gotta I got to go. Um, so anyway, so speaking of, I guess, blowing off campaigns, I don't know. Uh, speaking of, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to t- I don't, I don't, there's not really a good, sa- this is just a really amazing thing. So speaking of yeah. uh, things that make Democrats quake in their boots every bit as much as my campaign for the vice president. See, Sean King has been tweeting the most terrifying tweets for Democrats. Here's an example of one. Stop generically telling us to vote in response to all the police brutality we have right now. Yes, we should vote, but we have to be very specific. 
Democrats from top to bottom are running the cities with the worst police brutality in America right now. We voted for them. Now, if only some third party candidate would be reaching out to him. But alas, no, no one's. Well, maybe, maybe one day the libertarians will reach out to someone like a Sean King. And I mean, that that absolutely has to be a terrifying tweet for the Democrats. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? Because he's one of the people that, you know, is sort of that not necessarily vote blue no matter who, but who is always shoring up that, yes, this isn't a good option, but we got to go for it because Donald Trump's just that bad. He's not doing that right now. No. This is supposed to be something that Democrats can seize on, that Donald Trump is uniquely bad. And and he is. I mean, he's terrible. He's terrible. And he's terrible on this subject. And we're going to get into that later. But he's terrible on the subject of police brutality. The Democrats aren't really all that better, especially not the ones running against Trump. I mean, at the federal level, (laughs) they're not better. I mean, they're certainly certainly doing some nonsense performative garbage, but they're not actually – doing anything and 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 the reason they're not doing anything is because they would have to undo everything they've been doing and we'll get into that for the last several decades i'm just doing a lot of spoilers here guys but so yeah, there's there's a ton of spoilers being said now right thankfully <laughs> folks thankfully house democrats went to extraordinary lengths this week to demonstrate just how much they can pander better than Republicans with no real benefit or help to anyone. And my, my, my favorite thing about this picture is um, look at everybody that's not named Pelosi and their masks are affixed properly. Yes. Except for Pelosi who is up here. (laughs) Granted, she's in the front of the picture, but like the mask is just hanging. The the mask is not even, uh, you know, the mask is, is, is there is no benefit to her wearing that. In right no now. way is this protecting her or anyone else from COVID nineteen. If she has it, she yeah. is a now a super spreader, spreading it to everyone else <laughs> in that room. There is not like that is zero percent. She that is a chin guard at the moment, which it I, can be helpful in these. For for whenever Nancy Pelosi is uh, having one of her episodes and she happens to be eating, you know that that mask is going to catch all of the food that is falling out of her randomly moving mouth. We'll go with that punchline. So the the thing with this is, and as I noted on my page when I, I showed a similar pic, one of these pictures of them, and I said, uh, "Are y'all down there looking for a bill to end qualified immunity, like the one that Justin Amash passed, or ending the militarization of the police, or?" ending civil asset forfeiture or the war on drugs or using the department of justice to aggressively go after abusive police officers like, uh, like Joe Jorgensen and I want to do. No. Okay. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah, so that's, that's definitely how, what Democrats, uh, do when presented with an opportunity they pander for social justice in a similar way that Republicans p- pander for individual rights and freedom and individual responsibility. They do performative stuff and then just pass more terrible laws or just ignore situations that they created and let them get much worse. Um, yeah. And we and we know why, because in 1997, Joe Biden voted for that year's National Defense Authorization Act, which every year they just add 
whenever you look at some of the most terrible things that happen each year, they're usually crammed into the that year's NDAA. And the reason is because if you don't vote for it, they'll say, you didn't want to authorize our national defense. Are you with the terrorists? And so they introduce things. You want the terrorists to win? Because we were told that you're either on the side of the terrorists or on the side of the of not defense. the terrorists. And so in 1997, Joe Biden voted for that year's NDA, which created the 1033 program, which vastly expands uh, previous versions of military surplus programs and entitled all law enforcement agencies to acquire property for bona fide law enforcement purposes that assist in their arrest and apprehension mission. Joe Biden pictured here, remembering when he did that. That is a weird picture. <laughs> when I found that picture online, I said, I don't care. This is the picture for Joe Biden forever. That's just our stock Joe Biden picture. Yeah, that's our stock Joe Biden picture. <laughs> so we, well, that's perfect. Uh, I'm fine with it because that, that looks like someone who is thinking back on his 40 year history of harming everyone. Or I guess 50 year history of harming everyone with his with his legislation. Um, So tell us about this 1033 program, Matt. So. Sorry, my my sister just texted me in the middle of the show, which means that one, she's not watching. So she should be shamed for that. Um, and to stop asking me tech questions, you can figure it out. You're not that old. But, by the uh, way, so uh, Stephen Drowlett makes an excellent point. He said he's just itching to sniff some hair in that pic. And that is accurate. This is a man is who smells hair. <laughs> he's smelling that. He's smelling too. hair and he's thinking, I just want to. He's this damn social distancing. I have to sniff hair from six feet now. It's terrible. And that man behind him, he is not impressed. He is not impressed. Um, it's probably his hair he smells. <laughs> so the 1033 program, uh, it gave preference to uh, departments that sought military gear for counter-drug operations. So it was passed in the wake of the drug war, mm-hmm. in the drug war. Um Obviously, the drug war was brought on to, and it has vastly affected the black community. Mm-hmm. And Joe Biden, he voted for this. Um, I'm the only reason Trump didn't vote for it is because he wasn't in Congress. He would have absolutely voted for this. He I guarantee you. That in a heartbeat. Yeah, I guarantee you. I mean, this is a man who speaks in front of fraternal orders of police and police unions. And encourages them to brutalize the people they're arresting. He's actually told them to rough them up a little bit when they put them in the car. He would have absolutely signed this thing with this gigantic golden pen sideways and all that. He would have loved it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, So now him, Joe Biden being Joe Biden, he is uh, calling on Congress to pass a series of reforms aimed at improving oversight and accountability in the nation's police departments, which... The federal government is who I want looking over the local police departments. Yeah, that's Um, worked amazingly so far, by the way. uh, Among the ideas to his proposal, among those ideas is a proposal to stop transferring weapons of war to police forces, which, great. You know, I actually appreciate that he is out there saying 
this. I'm glad he's saying it, but he did again. He he passed Vote it for them to get it, and he also and Brand- was in the White House for eight years. Right, where that never came up, and, and this is not new. Police brutality is not new. I think what's new is that the reason I I believe that these protests happen uh, is because a it just became too much, and these protests happen every few years where people just get sick of it. But also, I think the reason they boiled over the way they have is because tensions were already so high with the pandemic and the lockdowns and everything else that something like this just set everyone else off. Um, but. It's there have been plenty of protests against police brutality in the 50 plus years that Joe Biden has been in office. And he is now calling for it because he needs their vote. And if you think about it, so Joe Biden throughout his 40 year career, uh, he has been one of the crusaders of the drug war. He, as of last year was saying that he did not believe or he did not know whether or not weed was a gateway drug and it needed more. And that he didn't want to, he didn't want to legalize it. He, he, he has now changed. He has now changed that. He says it is not a gateway drug and he has changed to decriminalize. So it can be studied. Joe Biden changes and I'm going to have to rip him off because he came up with the best one. I tried to come up with better ones, but he is a rusty weather vane. He does change with the tide. He changes with the, he changes with the wind, but it just takes him a little bit longer than every other member of his party. That is a remarkably accurate. And that, yeah, and that was Matt Welch that wrote that years ago for a reason, and it is the most. I tried that to come up with others, accurate, but that one is the best one. We could have just said a corroded weather vane, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I, the best one I came up with was he changes opinions like the seasons. Only his voters are in summer, and he just switched from winter to spring. Um, like a rusty weather vane. Well, I guess that's not how weather. It's not really how weather vanes work, but I mean, I I like your I like your I like your I like your analogy there too. What was it? Michael Malice said he's the Overton window, and he appears to have uh, that shifted. wasn't my that wasn't Michael Malice. That was um was that was that also uh, Matt Welsh? No, that was somebody else from Reason that wrote it. Uh, oh, okay. he, he is the candidate. He is the candidate that. Hang on, I texted that to you, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. It's that good, uh, folks. He's a presidential candidate who is the embodiment of the Overton window, and it appears he has been shifted. <laughs> Joe Biden picture here shifting. Um, <laughs> that's, that's him hearing the winds of That's him hearing the winds of, from, of, from of winter. 2016. Yeah, from 2016. Oh, man, that Michael Brown thing, that was terrible. We should do something about that. That's him picturing thinking of that now. Um, right. <laughs> So, yeah, so it's it's a you know, this is who Joe Biden is. Now, thankfully, uh, you know, we have Donald Trump who is invoking the name of a murder victim in a jobs report. Justice under the law must mean that every American receives equal treatment in every encounter with law enforcement, regardless of race, color, gender, or creed, they have to receive fair treatment from 
law enforcement. They have to receive it. We all saw what happened last week. We can't let that happen. Hopefully, George is looking down right now and saying, there's a great thing that's happening for our country. There's a great day for him. It's a great day for everybody. This is a great day for everybody. This is a great, great day in terms of equality. It's really what our Constitution requires, and it's what our country is all about. I just want to finish by saying, to save the economy, we passed several pieces of critical legislation, totaling many trillions of dollars, meaning three. We're set up to do more if we want. I think we should, because we, uh, we are dominant. For many years, as a bystander, but somebody that loved government, somebody that loved this country, I would watch and study and see. He told on just, himself there, you know, someone who loved government. Study, naturally study by watching. But if you go back, China was going to catch us in 2019. And that was like a given. You know, they, you go back five years, six years, seven years. It was always, yeah, China will catch America, catch the United States. And in 2019, and then it'll become the dominant economy. Never happened. It's not going to happen. We dominated them over the last year and a half, two years. The people whose incomes have remained the same for many, many, many years as the cost of living has just completely outstripped any gains they may have made are so happy that China's not dominating, whatever that means. And that the government has run up, as he said, many trillions, meaning three, it's actually more like six, uh, to give us all 1,200 bucks and then give the other five point something trillion to the to Wall Street and large businesses to continue their universal basic income for billionaires program. No doubt George Floyd is smiling, smiling down, down smiling down and saying, well, at least China's <laughs> not dominant. Can you imagine being the man who has to the, the man or woman who has to spin this stuff? So what's fun? OK, so. If anybody out there knows who Paul Ekman is, Paul Ekman is a master at micro expressions, and I happen to have taken his class. It is a great class. Uh, PaulEckman.com for anybody that wants to go, like not a paid endorsement, like just legitimately, it was fun training. Um, Are you examining now, my micro expressions? I do all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now I'm <laughs> self conscious. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, you don't like that just makes it worse. Um, Not if I keep it the whole time. You have no idea what I'm thinking. (laughs) But in that video, like normally when I'm watching one of these videos, I don't like catch anything because I'm not really like I'm listening. I'm not really paying attention on that one. All right, just pull it. Just pull up the clip because this woman gave away anger in a micro expression and I slowed it way down for everybody and I'm going to describe it just so you can kind of get an idea of what that looks like in a very, very fast motion. In and a I'm going to keep motion. these things are like momentary. I'm going to keep my face like this in perpetuity. Good luck. Thank you. Hopefully George is looking down right now and saying this is a great thing that's happening. Watch the eyebrows. They're going to come in and down and it's immediately <laughs> going to be followed by her lips pursing right there. And these are classic anger expressions on the face. 
and this goes for all all people across <laughs> across like everywhere and when i was watching it my eyes drew right to it and i was like wow that was a big one like the eyebrows coming in and together and kind of like down in the in the front parts here they all have terms i don't remember any of them and the lips pursing and tightening pure anger it's the moment he says george floyd's name and you see the look on her face just change but it only it's only there for like a second she catches herself and tries to put it back and like these are things that people can't help doing but when you see them and you kind of learn about them so much fun to see them on people's faces. Dr. Fauci, uh, he used to have Fauci. them all the time. Fauci. We, we, but that we, woman's we, was I, so... I believe it's Fauci, but at some point we decided to make him like a yeah, Super Fauci. Mario brother. Right? Dr. Fauci. <laughs> Dr. Fauci. Um, but when I saw that, I said, you know what? I'm going to teach people how to catch this one because this one was so perfect. I used to have to watch those in like fragments of a second and you would have to guess what it was. And you just learn. This is terrific. It's a great class. What's that website again? Paul Ekman, P-A-U-L-E-C-K-M-A-N.com. That's good stuff. So who, do we even know who this woman is or were you just that interested in her <laughs> face? I just, I just caught it and I was like, well, I'm showing this. Okay, good. Well, that, that is the end of our rapid fire segment. <laughs> Microaggression, micro expressions edition there. Expression. Micro, micro expressions. Well, he was, she was micro expressing to a macro aggression. Um, or I yes. guess that was a micro. So speaking of micro uh, aggressions, Jacob Frey. Frey. Frey? Frey? Frey. Frey. Uh, the mayor of Minneapolis. Uh, he Please sh- whoever he sh- has this song. He showed up to... Oh, God. He showed... Well, this will be your fault. Um, that'll be a nice moment of this being your fault. Uh, he showed up to a uh, to an event in Minneapolis, and he had a few things to say during these trying times. It's very powerful. This is the most... Why are his pants like this? <laughs> it looks so we were only going to show like four seconds of this but i'm glad that you made this 48 seconds long because i want to talk about his pants i want to talk about these moves this is the most white version of the cupid shuffle i've done a lot of cupid shuffles in my life and that is I, I legit, the worst i legitimately was going to make that at 10 seconds but i just kept laughing as i watched it i said i'm putting all 48 seconds it's terrible. It's ter- it only gets worse the longer you watch. I actually turned it off long before it kept going. It only got worse. Um, it's actually worse than this other clip. Um, and it under- it explains why people... St- it, I mean, it's, it, it's, it didn't help the riots, put it that way. Um, so, so anyway, so this is what he actually did over the, over the last week. Um, and we apologize here for the audio. This is a cell phone video that we found. Like there is no actual, like good footage of this. This we, is just don't, don't blame us for the for the audio. I, I, I yeah, don't blame us. Also, we apologize for the previous video, and you you actually do have to blame us for that because that was our yeah, fault. Uh, so here is what he did uh, over the week. You have to take responsibility here. 
I've been coming to grips with my own brokenness in this situation, my own failures, my own shortcomings, and I know there needs to be deep-seated structural reform in terms of how the department operates. The systemic racist system needs to be revamped. Okay. The police union needs to be put in its place. We need to make sure that everything from the union contract to the way that the arbitration functions to the way that our officers and the culture and the department Here's what I heard. It's not about you. He's given a speech. Take his mic. And then I believe there was another clip where he was asked after the clip, he was asked if he would defund the police department. And he said, no, I do not support the abolishment of the police department and was booed and told to go away, which is just right. Immediately upon that clip ending, even like he hadn't finished the sentence, which whatever, don't really care. Um, Don't care. The, the woman who was up on stage was like, I have a question for you. I have a question for you. And then people were shouting him down and she yeah she yelled um i'm just gonna shut off do not turn on do not disturb totally forgot about that um did i make a micro expression uh, there just now you did yeah it was was joy um (laughs) (laughs) but uh she she got them to quiet down and then she said i've got one question for you do you support uh, defunding the police department? And he says, what do you mean? And she goes, we don't want any more police patrolling our neighborhoods. We don't want to be arrested for things that we shouldn't be arrested. Like, and she goes into this long list of things. Right. So yes or no, do you believe this? And before you answer everybody, he is up for reelection next year. So remember this answer. And he said, no, I do not support the abolishment of the police department. Oof. Yeah, and now, then he got booed at. By the way, if you're a libertarian, this conversation's going in a direction that is good for us if we help craft the narrative. If we actually, instead of doing what we often do and saying, well, you know, they aren't doing it the way we would like, and instead say, yeah, police brutality against uh, communities of color and marginalized communities is terrible and, and wholly disproportionate and needs to end. And, and the, the police brutality in general needs to end. And here are our solutions towards it. And defunding the police, at least at the federal level, is a fantastic way to go about doing that, forcing it back down, as the Tenth Amendment uh, tells us it should, back down to the state's and the people, as it should, and allowing them to decide, do we want police or not? Uh, or do, do we want to move towards some kind of restorative justice uh, system or something like that? Allowing them to make these choices and trying to influence that decision as well at the local and, and state level of saying, you know, we don't need the same level of policing that we have now. We don't we may not even need state policing and state law enforcement. We may need to just have people responding to health care crisis and health care crises and and, uh, you know, uh, uh, mental health crises and things like, uh, you know, fires and things like that. But we don't really need anyone to show up and start shooting and tasing people uh, or we rarely do and don't need an entire department just for that. Um, so this is if we 
do it uh, would be a great way for us to actually get in front of the conversation and help shift the conversation towards libertarian solutions, um, which is why I'm very happy about some of the stuff that uh, Congressman Justin Amash is doing. But anyway, so the uh, city council did not agree with uh, the keep it shuffle guy there. Um, they nine of the members voted for a plan to defund the Minneapolis police, uh, which is a veto proof majority. So he cannot veto the legislation or he can, but then they can override it. Right. Yeah. It, even, even if he does veto it the first time he, it'll just get over. He'll get over it. Right. Um, city council president, Lisa Bender said on Sunday, our commitment is to end the city's toxic relationship with the Minneapolis police department. Big words right there. For Those are big the, words. Big words. Um, it would, and then they said that it would start defunding the police department within the next weeks and months. Um, they said they did say that finding a viable replacement could take up to a year. So it's not happening now, immediately, but it's happening. It's, it's not. It's not okay. You get no more money. Go home. We're selling all of your stuff. Right. Um, when asked. Wh- whether council would begin to defund the the police department without also having a new form of public safety uh, in place at the same time, city councilman Jeremiah Ellison said, absolutely not. So the police will continue to be there, but they will be losing their funding once they come up with some sort of viable replacement. Yeah. Should that ever, right. Should that ever happen? Now, the reason, the reason that they've kind of done this one of the reasons that they're kind of besides the whole brutality and systemic racism thing is because they looked into 911 calls and they found that most have to do with mental health issues, uh, medical issues or fires. So they plan right now to put a lot of the funds into the fire department, into mental health uh, practitioners being able to come out and help during mental health uh, problems and EMTs since that is the vast majority of 911 calls. Right, and that's so you don't, don't need this gigantic uh, you know, militarized police state to 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 deal with the vast majority of calls that have nothing to do with anything that that they would need to be involved in. Right. Um as for like the legitimate crime the the only real option that anybody has put forth that I think that they would go with. I'm not saying it's the best one. Yeah. Um, is the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office will probably uh, patrol there more often since they fall in that county. So instead of having the Minneapolis police, you are now going to be under the jurisdiction of the county sheriff. Right. But the, and, and the thing there is that because we assume that they're not going to replace however many officers from the Minneapolis police department with exactly that many officers in, in the County, there's probably going to be a net reduction in officers, which means that they're probably going to have to focus their resources on things like, or hopefully this is what they'll do on things like murder and rape and theft and kidnapping and actual crimes that have victims and hopefully back off of just the revenue collection and victimless crime stuff. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's I, I hopefully, you know, when we hear about the toxic relationship with the Minneapolis police, they're not talking about cops stopping murderers and rapists. They're talking about the police brutalizing communities and enforcing vic- largely spending their time enforcing victimless crimes and revenue generating uh, actions like, you know, expired 
uh, insurance and expired licenses and your tail lights out and that kind of stuff. You're not wearing your seatbelt and that kind of stuff, which they, like all other laws, disproportionately enforce against communities of color. Um, just to put it in perspective here. Go ahead. Unfortunately, one of the things that I did read, I didn't put in the notes. I thought I did. Um, one of the ways that they're going to still be able to do the fundraising is they will increase uh, traffic cameras to catch people uh, breaking traffic laws and just like, yeah, exactly. I didn't need micro expressions for that. <laughs> that uh, was a macro. That was a, <laughs> that, that was, that was a, yeah, that, that was a plainly obvious one. The plainly obvious um, expression there. But now at least it doesn't is, involve an officer interacting with you, which can potentially be harmful, but now it's right. just a new way to you're, connect revenue. You're yeah. not going to get pulled over for speed. Like you might not get pulled over for speeding and then try to find something else. So in that way, it's a little better, but it also is worse that's in that silver lining. Right it's a, it's a little bit of a silver lining, but it's also going to be a lot more collection of revenue. Hopefully that that stops, too. Just to put this in perspective, because sometimes as libertarians, we both overestimate and underestimate the public. And I've heard a lot of libertarians say that we shouldn't be messaging so hardly against the police because the public simply won't stand for it. The public is pro-police. So Newsweek did a survey of uh, of Americans uh, where they asked them uh, questions. And one of the questions they asked them was uh, about some of the actions that the protesters and rioters have taken in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. And what they found was that 54% of Americans think that burning down the Minneapolis police precinct was justified. Let me just reiterate. 54% of Americans think burning down the Minneapolis police precinct was justified. Now, neither Joe Jorgensen nor I are calling for any police precincts to be burned down or any kind of violence of that nature or really anything to be burned down. We don't support that. Uh, we don't think it's a good idea. And we certainly are not. That's not a policy plank of ours or anything else. I'm just saying that a poll showed that 54% of Americans did think it was justified. So I think we can be hard on the militarized police state. I think that we can be hard on the brutalization that is happening in our communities and the communities of our friends and loved ones. When 54% of Americans here think that you, you, you let's just burn them down. If anything, our ideas will sound moderate by comparison. Joe Biden pictured here <laughs> thinking of burning down the Minneapolis police department. He might be one of the 54% of Americans. We do not know. Right. And even no matter what, no matter what the Minneapolis city council decides to do here, one, if they get rid of the police department, which I'm not sure they're saying that now, but what's to say a year from now, they haven't found a better, better solution in their mind. Right. Um, that they just keep it going. Um, if they do get rid of it, Honestly, the sheriff's department is the most. It is the one that I can most easily see them doing. Right. Um, and essentially all they'd be doing is ridding the city of their own police force, which is good. That's good to be patrolled by another one. And you're still going to have the same issues, maybe and, not to the extent, but you're still going to have the issue. And they're going to be looking for new cops. And. Coincidentally, a police force will have just been disbanded, leaving many trained police officers 
looking for a new job. Hopefully this gets handled correctly, but Democrats are not bad at, and Republicans too, but especially on these types of issues, Democrats are not bad at doing performative stuff that looks like they changed things, but really they just shifted the deck chairs, or in this case, murderous police officers. Um, And so, you know, we really don't know. But so Donald Trump uh, has, of course, been on Twitter because he's Donald Trump uh, attacking Joe Biden, uh, saying that he's the leader of the radical left, which is just hilarious. Joe Biden. Joe Biden, leader of the radical left. As as someone who has some... Go ahead. 1033 Joe Biden, who voted for the 1033 program, who uh, is a huge proponent of the drug war for 40 plus years, who helped with the largest um, eviction of of immigrants from this country. Yeah. uh, Most deportations Uh, by a president ever during Obama and Donald Trump, for all of his brutality on the border, has not been able to keep up with Obama's pace. Most deportantest president in history with Joe Biden That's right. standing by his side. Just leader of the radical left. We talk <laughs> leader of the radical left. We talk about the cops who just stand by and, and watch as, you know, the, the you know, we watch the, the good cops that stand by and watch the bad cops do murder. Uh, and that's Joe Biden in the White House standing by while he watches Obama deport millions of people and start genocides in foreign countries like Yemen and Libya. And he just stood there and went, well, that's a bunch of malarkey. Still here, though. Didn't do anything, say anything about it. Actually, if anything, he wasn't saying it was malarkey. He was promoting it on his end as as best he could. I was going to say he was supporting it at the time. Well, because he is the leader of the the radical left. And, of course, as leader of the radical uh, left, he was uh, unusually prepared for this round of attacks. Uh, But he appeared with Nora O'Donnell on CBS to discuss his position as, again, leader of the radical left on uh, defunding the police. Do you support defunding the police? No, I don't support defunding the police. Uh I support conditioning federal aid to police based on whether or not they meet certain basic standards of decency and honorableness and, in fact, are able to demonstrate they can protect the community and everybody in the community. He doesn't support defunding the police per se, he it supports right. giving them more money if they promise to not he, still do he, what he, they do. He wants to withhold money from them, federal dollars from them, if they fail to meet some mythical level. Some that standard that already – I mean the federal standard is we're going to give you endless military equipment for no – real reason right. other than to unload it and and you know presumably you pay to have it shipped i mean that's really what it's about it's we have all this equipment no one really wants it what are we going to do here you want it did here you did you come pick it up like that that's what that program is it has dumped military equipment and it has also dumped a mentality of you know you're you need this stuff to fight against the people on the streets and fight, you know, in the war zone, you hear cops talking about, I'm going on the front lines. You're not going on the front lines. You're going into our homes and our communities and our neighborhoods and interacting with us and our friends and our loved ones and your friends and loved ones. We're not the enemy. Stop treating us like the enemy. Because if you keep treating us like the enemy, 54% of Americans will want your police department to get burned down. Not me. 
Heaven not forbid. Me. Definitely not me. Not me. But fifty-four percent of Americans. Definitely not us. Not that so, I'm going to say here. Definitely not. Um, so we have both major candidates, both of the parties, both of the Republicans are saying they want the same thing, which is more federal oversight on the local police departments. You know, the federal oversight that got us here. They're just talking about it differently. And one of them thinks that George Floyd is smiling at us. Because of the jobs report. <laughs> now, speaking of a disembodied head smiling at us, it is time for the personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law, anchor call-in moment. That's a segue. I remember. It is. And remember, everybody, if you go to anchor.fm slash muddied waters, you too can have your sweet, sultry, buttery voice played on these episodes, and we will answer your questions, sometimes sight unseen. Oh, by the way, I got a question a while back from trying to see where. Anyway, uh, uh, someone a while back asking if I had followed up with uh, people in the native uh, tribes, the native community, about what we had talked about on my AMA last week. And the answer is yes. I have been reaching out with Sean, the person that I spoke with, and other members of the native community uh, to talk with them about what their problems are and to see how what how we can craft a, a, a platform that will apply libertarian common sense solutions to the problems that they face. Largely, what we're seeing is that the uh, members of almost all of the reservations with a, with a couple of exceptions exceptions aren't allowed to actually own or use their own property it's leased to them by the bureau of indian affairs and the and the and the department of interior and they're told very strictly how they can use it so here is a government who violently through violence and fraud breaking many many treaties along the way and genocide more often than not has stolen the vast majority of the land that the indigenous people, the Native Americans once had free reign of, crowded them into little uh, reservations, most of them in, in you know, far-flung desert areas that no one else wanted. And then they don't let them use it. Or they, they let them use it, but with very, very strict restrictions. And so in that kind of a situation, it's no wonder that we ha- that these communities have you know rampant problems with suicide and alcoholism and domestic abuse and uh, COVID nineteen is running rampant in these communities. All of the things we see when people are robbed of their dignity and the ability to exert their self ownership. So our policies will largely uh, be built around allowing them to own and have stewardship and have control over the land that is rightfully theirs. Uh, and, and more details will be coming soon, but we are working on that. So, um, so yeah, anchor.fm slash muddy waters, please leave your questions. We covet your questions. This is our, one of our favorite parts of the show, uh, answering these questions, especially when they come in during the show and we don't have time to prepare for them. Those are our favorite. Um, so here is the first one. That's a hint, by the way, if anyone wants to leave one now, um, here is the first one from Mr. Jim. Well, it's pulling up from Mr. Jack America. Hello, Spike and Matt. My name is Jack America. My question is about a specific policy platform. Now, I was fine with going back in time and killing baby Hitler, but going back in time to kill baby Woodrow Wilson? My God, man! I see this as an ethical problem because isn't Woodrow Wilson an American? 
Not to mention at least a B-tier president. Besides, how would killing baby Woodrow Wilson have anything to do with baby Hitler? I saw you imply that Woodrow Wilson killing him would stop Hitler from being Hitler. Whatever. I suggest you start respecting America more. Thanks. Who is that? I don't know, but I think that's a question for you. <laughs> I don't know. I recognize the voice. Like, is that Dan Berman? No way. I want to hear that last little bit. Hold on. Thanks. That's Dan Berman. I think. That could be that could be Dan Berman. Here, let's do the micro expression thing. Everyone follow my micro expressions and based on what I do, that will tell you if this is Dan Berman or not. Thanks. I think that, that could, might be Dan. That, that could be, be that could Dan be him. Berman. Anyway, as to your absurd question, be a tier president, sir. <laughs> is that what we're calling Woodrow Wilson a B B tier president? This is the man that implemented the Federal Reserve, the income tax, World War I, which is what caused World War II, and yes, allowed Hitler to be Hitler, or the, you know Hitler to be bad Hitler, as opposed to just a German guy who paints. didn't paint all that well, but tried. He tried. Um, he did try. Um, he, he, much better than I ever could hope to be. Well, listen, say what you want about Hitler. The man killed Hitler. Um, but so Woodrow Wilson is easily the worst president of the 20th century, I would say. I, I think that we can, you know, some people say FDR, Woodrow Wilson primed that pump. Yeah, I was going to I was going to say if it's not FDR, it's Woodrow Wilson. But without Woodrow, like without Woodrow Wilson, you would there'd be no FDR. We'd have no, no there wouldn't have been the Great Depression, like all of the terrible things that happen. Look at the Federal Reserve. The reason we are able, that our government is able to continue this empire and continue the war on drugs and all of these terrible things that we would never agree to tax increases to pay for is because they print out endless reams of Federal Reserve notes that they uh, lend to themselves at low interest rates, which we then have to pay those debts with interest. But in addition to that, not only are we having to now pay those debts with interest, but we're also having to, because they're printing out endless uh, trillions of dollars of Federal Reserve notes uh, without any correlating increase in value or corresponding increase in value, the value of all the Federal Reserve notes that we're required by law to use as legal tender exclusively continues to go down in value, which is what causes inflation. Prior to the Federal Reserve, this reality we live in where the cost of living just goes up every year did not exist. It Sometimes it went up, sometimes it went down, sometimes it stayed the same. It was kind of this fluctuation based on supply and demand as opposed to simply the government printing out endless reams of money. That's all Woodrow Wilson. And if it would make you feel better, we'd take care of Woodrow Wilson while he's a zygote. Making him not legally in America. So, if that makes you feel better, it might not. <laughs> so, yeah. So, next question is from Chris Reynolds himself. And uh, here's the question. Oh, we're down. No, we're back. Here's the question. Personal injury attorney Chris Reynolds here with your AOC Millennial Minute. Got a couple of questions for Spike. Uh, future VP 
Uh, first has to do with his recent attendance at a uh, Black Lives Matter protest, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if he was a participant or not. I'm sure he will tell us a, more about that. But I wanted to know kind of what, you know, what the most interesting thing or maybe even the most surprising thing that, that you learned while you were there that maybe you weren't either aware of or as aware of prior to. Um, also, what was the percentage of girls versus guys that you talked to, or was it just all girls? And then three, have you ever seen the show Dave, and could that be a possible career for you in the future? Thanks. Okay, first, the show, I remember seeing a movie called Dave with Kevin Klein where he became president. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's not what he's talking about. Okay, what's Dave about? Dave is the uh, fictionalized story of Lil Dicky. I'm not starring Lil Dicky. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I don't know why people keep comparing me to Lil Dicky. I don't look like him. <laughs> like, I don't know why this has happened. We share one thing in common. We're Jewish. That's it. Like we. I don't know why this. I'm not a talented rapper. We don't look at like at all. <laughs> I have no idea why people keep saying, hey, little Dicky, that's kind of like you. I'm like, I don't see or hear it, but thank you. The show, the show, Dave, which is legitimately, it's just about, it, it's about um, little Dicky's career is so funny. It is so funny. It's on Hulu. It's on Hulu. Um, but yeah, it, it is hilariously funny and awkward. It is one of the most awkward shows I've ever seen, which makes it even funnier. And do I seem anything like this person? No, you are much more confident. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. So, all right. So the Black Lives Matter protests, uh, and I will be going. Um, uh, I will be going to more of those. Uh, I've had some difficulty going to them because the Myrtle Beach Police Department is a straight up racist police state here, and uh, they uh, make it incredibly difficult to have any kind of protest or rally or anything else. Uh, but this one did happen. Uh, so the two things that surprised me the most, there wasn't really anything I heard in terms of statistics or stories. I mean, there were some terrible stories that, that people gave of, of individual circumstances they've had with the police or their loved ones have had with the police. There was a, a woman there who, uh, named Michelle who has a, a local talk show who talked about some of the stuff her 16, 17-year-old son has been through uh, over – he's now 18, but this stuff happened when he was 16 and 17, for example, when he was arrested walking out to get the mail – because he didn't have his ID on him on their property that they own. And he said, I'll go in the house and get my ID because they said, we'll have to take you to jail because you don't have an ID. He said, I'll go into the house and get it. So they jumped out of the car and threw him on the hood and said, you're evading arrest and possibly breaking and entering. This is the way that they treat black people in Myrtle Beach. They don't treat white people m much better but this is the way that they treat black people in Myrtle Beach. And so I, so as horrified as I was to hear these things, I wasn't surprised by it because I've heard – I've lived here many years. I've heard these things before. It is not surprising. What surprised me was the sheer number of people that got together with police there en masse. I mean they were there to make sure that you know no one got too, I guess, uppity or whatever. And uh, they had to sit there and take it 
while they gave one story after the next about what the police did, and some of the people there would point at them and say, we're going to change how you guys do your how you guys do your job and how you interact with us. And you're going to start respecting us. And I'm like, wow, I'm not used to the Myrtle Beach Police Department just standing there and taking it. I have a feeling that they were under orders from above. You just have to stand there and take it. If someone gets violent, that's one thing, but you don't get to do what you normally do and arrest people for mouthing off or giving you an ugly look that you didn't like. You have to just kind of stand there and take it because this isn't the time for you to do what you normally do. Because uh, that crowd would have turned on them if it had gone that way. And there were more than enough people there for that turning to go poorly for the police. Uh, so the other thing that surprised me was the sheer number of times that people would reference everyone's life mattering. In fact, a few times they actually would say all lives matter. And these were black people saying all lives matter and saying things like we don't want to see color. And they were routinely talking about the purpose of Black Lives Matter is that we want all lives to matter. We want to be able to say all lives matter, not just as some flippant thing you say to someone who says that black lives matter, but as an actual true statement that we are being treated equally or at least close to equally under the law. And um, they kept talking about things like there was one uh, uh, person who said, um, you know, when I look at the people out on this crowd, I don't want to see, I don't see white people and I don't see you white people and us black people. I see my brothers and sisters coming together, uh, my fellow humans, the human race coming together to solve a problem that's affecting all of us, but is especially affecting us. So I was really, um, and maybe I shouldn't have been, um, you know, unfortunately in the media that a lot of times that they portray this as being almost this like black power thing. And there's certainly an aspect of it that is a black power thing. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, but I was just surprised by the magnanimity there. These are people who are routinely brutalized by the police at a way higher, way more disproportionate level than, uh, than white people are in this area. And they were talking about how they want, uh, they kept referencing whenever, because uh, the people that spoke were at the top of this hill, and whenever uh, they would have a speaker who was white, uh, they would say, okay, let's go to the mountaintop together, referencing uh, um, uh, Martin Luther King's uh, speech uh, where he talked about uh, our children and grandchildren going up on the mountaintop together. And uh, and so they would go up together to show this, like, you know, this moment of unity. So I was I was pleasantly surprised at how much they, they focused on unity. Um, it was pretty incredible. And then, um, so those are the things that surprised me. Uh, I went there. I did not go to campaign. I did not go to give a speech. I didn't even really announce that I was going. I wanted to go there to listen because this was not about me. And this was not about our campaign. Our campaign is, is going to be for marginalized communities and for all of us, but especially for the people who are the most acutely affected by the abuses and excesses of the state. So I went there to hear what they had to say and to be, and to listen to them and to, you know, and to, and to then show to people on social media afterwards, this is what the folks had to say that I spoke with and that, you know, and that, that, you know, that gave speeches. Um, I spoke to an equal number of people of various of various genders. I spoke to women and men equally. I did uh, focus mostly on speaking to black people because this is a black lives matter thing. There were, there were a good number of white people there. I'd say it was probably, I don't know, 65% black and 35% not black, you know, white and Asian and mostly white. Um, but, uh, so I, I mostly spoke to, to people of color because this is a thing that's disproportionately affecting them. Um, but I spoke to men and women. Thank you. And I don't, 
now I, you know, I don't want to talk about what tomorrow's episode is going to be. Um, but so anyway, uh, <laughs> so, so thank you for that question. <laughs> Here is the next question from hashtag laser legend, Matt Hicks. Good evening, gentlemen. This is Matt Hicks calling in on the Chris Reynolds, personal injury attorney, attorney at law anchor call in line. Uh, I just wanted to get your take on this. How many 75-year-old men need to be slammed to the concrete by police officers before the American people finally get well and truly sick of this madness? Hashtag laser legend. Go ahead. By, By my predictions, it's more than one. Hopefully, yeah. Unfortunately, it's more than one because the one already happened. Uh, a guy who no. go go ahead. I don't know who saw this today. I'm certain many people did, but the calm, collected, unifying president that we have yes tweet, tweeted this out, and I didn't put it. I didn't put it in the notes uh, because I saw it literally five minutes before the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Buffalo protesters shoved by police could be an Antifa provocateur, which good for him for knowing that word, really. Like, just proud of him. Well, it's proof that someone else wrote this. I mean, let's be clear. Are we saying that Donald Trump knows the word provocateur? Or or he or he just copy pasted from uh, um, One American News Network, which is where this whole nonsense came from. Right. 75-year-old Martin Gugino was pushed away after appearing to scan police communications in order to black out the equipment. One America at One America uh, News, yep. whatever, yep. News Network. Yeah, OAN or whatever, I, OANN, yeah. Yeah, OANN. I watched, he fell harder than was pushed, was aiming scanner. Could be a setup. The man was handing... The man was handing a police helmet back to the Like there's video of this. Yeah. He was handing a helmet back to the officer. He's holding a police helmet and he goes to hand it to an officer and he is shoved and thrown backwards. The man, uh, okay. The man was, I'm going to say roughly six feet tall, probably weighed about a buck 60. Yeah. He's he's a small guy. the Flint, cop Flint does Flint one of these Flint numbers Flint. with his baton, and he falls back hard. He's a 75-year-old man. They didn't do this to someone in their 20s or 30s who would fall back and kind of, you know, regain. This a 75-year-old, tall, lanky man. What did they think was going to happen if they checked him, gut-checked him with a baton? And he fell hard and hit his head on the concrete, and he's in the hospital, and he's in serious but stable right. condition almost a week later. Because he's 75, and you don't do that to a a 75-year-old man. No. And he didn't come up and surprise them. He literally walked up to them to hand them a helmet. He he walked up to them at the average gate of a 75-year-old man. Yeah. Yeah. This was the Buffalo PD, and Donald Trump took that occasion to spread a ridiculous 
story, and, and w- which was originally shared by an One American News Network anchor or, or correspondent who is literally employed by the Kremlin and is part of the, the former KGB's news agency Sputnik. Now, we don't like doing the whole Russian agent thing. She's literally a Russian agent. Like, we've been accused of being Russian bots on this show when we've said stuff against <laughs> Democrats. So I, we don't bandy that term around. She literally is on the payroll of Sputnik. Like, she literally works for the Kremlin. Literally. 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 Um, now, I want to I want, I end a couple of uh, rumors here. They say that... Uh, <laughs> The the two people. Okay, first first rumor: we are not Russian. We are not bots. Russian bots. I can assure you We're of that. Not Russian bots. No. Um, I he's in South Carolina, as you know, and I am in Florida. I don't even know Russian. Um, in fact, let's 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 break this down even further. My dad's part of my dad's side of the family came to the United States fleeing the Russian pogrom. So there's no love lost there. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. No idea where my family's from, so you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no clue. Somewhere, uh, somewhere white. Yeah, somewhere in Europe. That's, that's what I got. Somewhere yeah, European. European. Somewhere I European. I, I, I am a probably of Northern European <laughs> mixture. That's good. That's a good, um, accurate guess. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, they said that the two police officers were suspended without pay. Now they've been charged, which is that that's good. Good. But uh, a lot of the news said that fifty-seven other officers quit in solidarity. Yeah. No, they did not. Yeah. No, they did not. They did not quit in solidarity. They left the task force because they were told that they would uh, that the police union would not pay for any uh, abuse of power lawsuits. Which is another reason to end qualified immunity. Do you know how many cops will walk away from the force if they know that they can be sued for the way that they treat us? Yep. There's 57 of them that I'm not upset are gone. Right. I'm not doing it. Not doing it. So they they left because they did not have the protection of the union should it come to a lawsuit. For their poor treatment of, of a, and, and, and we talked in the last episode about qualified immunity, how difficult it is to sue a police officer. It's nearly impossible. And on the odd chance that they might actually be able to be successfully sued and not represented by their union, they quit. Good. Ending qualified immunity will clear the decks of so many people who don't want to be held accountable for what they do. So that then we can say, that cops are good and that it's only a couple of bad apples. We can literally say that because the ones who are left are the ones who go, that's fine. I wasn't planning on abusing anyone or violating their rights anyway. So why would I worry about getting sued? That's what we want. We want to be able to say, yeah, the police are great. The police are here to protect us. The police are here to, you know, protect our rights and our lives and our property. Why would I hate the police? I mean, the police can be sued if they do something wrong. Why would I, why, you know, they, and they know that and they join knowing that. Yeah, no, we want those kinds of cops to quit. We want those cops who want to uh, be, uh, you know, be able to abuse people with impunity to quit. On mass is fine. They can do it individually, or they can do them fifty-seven at a time. I'm fine with either. Right, and I mean, they 
And again, they did not quit the police department. They just left that task force. They will not be patrolling the streets during riots and protests. Good. Step one. So here is the next question here. It's actually our last question for the evening. Hello. I want to have an understanding how libertarian philosophy um, can apply or approach the um, certain people that feel that things like health care and education should be free for all. How does that fit in with no taxation and items like that? Thank you. Hashtag space pony. So this is a question from the amazing and lovely and beautiful Dawn Hicks, the wife of hashtag laser legend Matt Hicks, who is my campaign manager. Uh, and Miss Dawn is going to be uh, doing some questions here and there. She is the hashtag space pony pictured here. And that's an excellent question, Don. So here's what libertarians agree with people who are saying, because what we're hearing from people are saying that healthcare should be free, that education should be free. What they're saying is education and healthcare are so unaffordable that most people can't afford it without government assistance. Like they literally cannot afford healthcare or higher education, much less both of them, especially younger people without the government being involved. And that was not always the case. They're one of the first generations where that's always been the case. And when they talk to their parents and grandparents, who go, well, you know, you, you should just do it the way I did it. You go to college and you work your way through it and you get out and then you can, then you can pay off your debt within a couple of years and then you can go buy a house a few years later. That's not true anymore. The cost of education, the cost of housing, just the cost of living has gone through the roof. And the cost of specifically healthcare, housing, and education has gone up something like tenfold since the time that their parents were in their situation. And even more than that, you know, 30 and 40 fold since their grandparents were in that situation. And the cost of their actual wages have not gone up anywhere near that much. So they're truly being left behind by the system. So when I hear people saying healthcare is a right, education should be free, healthcare should be free, here's their concern. Very few of them are ideological socialists or want, you know, are, are ideologically drawn to wanting this type of stuff, free healthcare, free anything else. They just want to be able to afford it. They want to be able to know that these things are accessible and affordable in the way that they need it. Well, we agree. And we look at the history of government's involvement in education and healthcare. We look at the fact that every single time with each further injection into those markets and housing and everything else that government has gotten into, the cost of those things continues to skyrocket as a direct result of government involvement for two reasons. Number one, they add subsidies and regulations that necessarily drive up the cost and the subsidies, because here's what, we, what gets lost a lot, especially with higher education. When you subsidize something, you allow that price to be higher without any corresponding loss in patients. Hospitals are, are packed with people. Doctors' offices are packed with people. Uh, uh, healthcare center uh, or uh, education centers, uh, colleges and universities are packed with people right now even though the costs keep going up because the government adds subsidies, which allows these providers to go, well, if I'm not losing anyone, I don't need to lower the price. So there's no price signaling that forces that the, uh, there's no change threat to the change in demand that would make them bring the prices down. 
But then there's also the regulatory burdens that get added that make it more expensive. In the case of healthcare, and I'm sure with education as well, up to 75% of the cost of healthcare is directly related to compliance with various Medicare, Medicaid, and insurance regulations. If you took that out, the cost of healthcare immediately would drop 75% right there. And that's before you get into any other state or federal regulations related to healthcare. Those things alone would change the cost of healthcare and higher education. Here's another thing that, that has happened specific with healthcare. Because of our ridiculous intellectual property laws, our ridiculous patent laws, there are companies that go into pharmaceutical companies, they buy the company, they gut the research and development teams, they gut everything, they, they fire almost everyone, and they squat on the patents that they had that they were bought in the in the process of buying that company, and they jack up the price 10, 20, 30 times, 100 times what it was before on 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 uh, patents for drugs that are in some cases decades old and should be generic at this point and republicans and democrats sign off on that it is that government protection of these ridiculous patent laws that allows the cost of pharmaceuticals which affects the entire cost of healthcare to go through the roof that is another thing we would get rid of we would get rid of the burdens subsidies regulations and mandates that drive up the cost of healthcare and education and housing and everything else because it's not the doctors that are making more money than ever before it's the cronies who have bought the politicians to put these policies in place and we will get rid of those so thank you for that question and this was a, another great uh personal injury attorney chris reynolds attorney at law anchor call in moment and again Anchor.fm slash Muddy Waters. We would love to have your questions for future episodes. Uh, feel free to ask any question. No, well, I don't know any question. Ask any appropriate question because we've gotten a couple that were mm. 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 Yeah, we've got a few that We've uh, got a couple that were. We still answered yeah, them. Make it. We still answered them, but yeah. No, there are a few we didn't. There are a few that didn't make it. Oh, okay. Well, then then I you, you, you spared me of that. So. Um, yeah, I, I left those out of the entire equation. Well, speaking of bad things that I have no control over, New York State <laughs> is supposed to have a 24-hour limit on holding people in jail without charging them. So they either have to be charged within that 24-hour limit or they have to be let go. And yeah. that is in keeping with the uh, the system of habeas corpus that we and most other civilized countries have. Uh, it is based on the idea that government can't simply hold people indefinitely. And a Manhattan judge, Supreme Court judge, James Burke, denied legal aid lawyers, which is an organization for, for um, people that are, are wrongfully accused and, and are being held, legal aid lawyers' request for the immediate release of hundreds of prisoners that are being held in custody for days for days after their arrest during the protests. These are people that have been held for many days and have not been charged with anything. Some of them have been like Uber drive. We're going to get more into the details on this, but like these aren't even all confirmed protesters. Some of them are just people that got caught up in the mix and they're being held for days with no charge or anything else. So at the time of the hearing, the number of people who were arrested, uh, who were waiting to see, a judge in cramped cell, uh, cramped cells for more than 24 hours was over, was over, uh, 180 at the time that I did the prep for this show. It was over 400 people, which means it's even over. higher now. Cause they're still holding. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
No, yeah, easily. Yeah. Um, a lot of de- detainees have been alleging that they were prevented from calling family, from calling lawyers. Uh, they were denied uh, water and uh, medical assistance, not getting the basic necessities that you are supposed to be able to receive upon entering jail. And I don't know how many of you out there have been there. I personally have spent a few weekends in different state-sponsored hotels. Um, and, yeah, if you need water, usually they, they will get it for you, and you get to call your lawyer, and you get to call, make your one phone call. Like, that's always happened. I've never had an issue with it. Um, the fact that they're withholding this stuff, and they always charged me pretty quickly. Of course, any time that I went in, it was pretty obvious. What pretty I was obvious what you were there for. <laughs> 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 Didn't even have to tell you. You're being a restaurant. I know. I know. I know. Trust me. I Do you know what your rights are? Yes, I know my rights. Do you know why you're being arrested? I absolutely. I absolutely. Know. I definitely know um, why I'm being arrested. Anyway, but like Spike said earlier, it wasn't just protesters who were arrested. Uh, they they arrested the Canadian journalist Anna Slats on June 2nd and held her for two days, uh, even though reporters are theoretically among the workers exempted from the city's curfew. And we've and by the way, we've uh, seen reporters in other places, including New York. They're wearing mm-hmm. vests, yet bright yellow vests that say press, and they have people holding cameras, l- large HD cameras behind them, and they're you know holding microphones. These are obvious members of the press, and the police are shooting pepper balls at them and shooting tear gas at them and brutalizing them every bit as hard as they're brutalizing everyone else because in, they want to make it clear. Them, and ahead. arresting them on camera, live on camera. Live on camera. And not saying why. And not saying, saying why and holding arrest, them without charge why. for days. Yeah, Right. Just holding them. Um, other essential employees have been arrested. And delivery drivers, like Uber Eats drivers and like Domino's pizza. Delivery, yep. Like yep. for being out past curfew or for, you know, trying to do their jobs. Even though they're day. essential employees. The police right now in these areas are just arresting anyone who gets in front of them. One of our one of my friends, Shane Allen, he went to a protest in, I believe, Iowa, and the police just walked up and arrested him. They pointed guns at him and arrested him. And he was literally walking to a protest and said, what about my right to peaceful assembly? And they told him to shut the F up and they held a gun on him and they arrested him. And he was held for a long weekend. He he got out last Tuesday or Wednesday after being held for like four days. Don't know if he's been charged with it. He doesn't know if he's been charged with it. No one knows what's going on. They're just arresting people. They're just acting like a military occupation force and just arresting people for no reason, not giving a reason, just holding them and then letting them go at some later date, maybe charging them, maybe not. But just making it clear, if you're in this area, we're going to arrest you, even though it's illegal for us to do that. Which, so I was talking with personal injury attorney Chris Reynolds, attorney at law before the show today, uh, as I do many shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about this specifically because he is our legal expert and you know, he's a lawyer. He's um, a lawyer. He's a personal injury attorney. He is a personal injury attorney. Oh, by the way, uh, Chris Reynolds, that's one of our sponsors, Chris Reynolds law. If you're ever in the t- well, if you're in Florida and you've been personally injured, uh, and you want to be represented, Chris Reynolds, personary, personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law would love to represent you in that case. So if you see the smiling face, you don't even have to find them. But if you don't see the smiling face, go to Chris Reynolds Law. Sorry, go ahead. 
and we're going to talk about this a little bit later. I'm just going to touch on a few things that he talked about uh, that we talked about that weren't in the notes. But so the reason that this is in place is because, you know, 600 years ago or whatever, um, kings would just arrest people, throw them in dungeons and not give them any charges. And so that's where these rules started coming from. The only people that these rules do not do not apply for are foreign uh, foreign people trying to like attack the country. That's right. It. That is it. Anybody else, you need to be charged and pro- charged and processed and arraigned, essentially, or at least given an arraignment date uh, within and, a certain amount of. And so, when legal aid said to this judge, "These people have been held for more than twenty four hours. Let them go." The judge should have rubber stamped that and said, "Absolutely, let them go. It's been more than twenty four hours. Period." Should should have happened, but instead. What he said was, this is a crisis within a crisis. All writs are denied. Brooklyn, Bronx, and Manhattan. A civil unrest, he went on to say, a civil unrest crisis within the overarching uh, COVID-19 crisis. And then finished off with, to that end, the entire police department has been deployed and the entire Manhattan DA's office is, quote, all hands on deck and working to relieve the problems which we are currently addressing. It is simply a fact that virtual parts slow down the pace of arraignments, including but not limited to technical issues. So then you shouldn't be arresting so many people. You shouldn't be arresting so if many If you people. can't process them, stop arresting them. So essentially what he's saying is this is a time of crisis. This is a time that, you know, we have to go outside of the laws that are put there in place. Now, not every state has a 24 hour limit. Some of them are longer. Some of them are, I'm pretty certain 24 hours is. That's pretty, from what I read, it's pretty standard. There are some that have longer exceptions, right? You can't hold them indefinitely in any state. You can't hold them indefinitely. You have to give them a time. You have to give them a time period on which we're going to charge you by this time, or you are free to go. Now, what Chris was telling me is if they do not, they cannot charge you with whatever crime they arrested you for. So being held there for more than the 24 hours or whatever your state's allotted time is. Means you're supposed to be let free. You're supposed to be let free and they cannot ever charge you for whatever that crime is. And if I quoted that wrong, I hope Chris is still in the comments to let me know immediately. Matt Um, is wrong. I'm pretty certain that's what he said. Um, So all of these people who are in there should be let free, not charged with any crime, and have a massive lawsuit on their hands. Yep. Which is why, I mean, that's legal aid. Yeah, they want to do good, but... Oh, they're trying they to get also, money too. They use their money for yeah. their legal aid stuff. So of course, I mean, it is what it is. But yeah, they they legal aid legal aid and these people should have gotten a massive payout. Instead, the judge went, uh, "Yeah, no, we're going to violate our own laws because you know crisis." They're still going to get the massive payout eventually. Yeah, right. I mean, they weren't going to get the payout if he released them right then. No. They were going to get the payout if he didn't, which he didn't. Now, the writ, like what we said earlier, the writ of habeas corpus is a 900-year-old legal protection afforded to citizens against authoritarian impulses of law enforcement and executives, right. which allows an advocate to argue that someone is, legally, is being legally confined, detained, or imprisoned. Right. Um, 
And there's an habeas actual corp- clause. There's a the, the habeas corpus yeah. is enshrined in the con- uh, constitution. It explicitly yeah. defines when it can be overridden, and that isn't in a case of you know civil unrest in the overarching COVID nineteen crisis. No, no, it is not. Now, the one thing that I, I could not find this answer, I could not find this answer. Um, only Congress, which we'll get to this in a little bit, I'm skipping ahead, but only Congress can suspend habeas corpus. That's it. Like a president cannot do it mm-hmm. federally. I don't know what happens in states. I, I could not find it. Like, I, I think that's state to state. Except here's the thing, and this is how the, the and I mean, uh, Chris can correct me if I'm wrong. When the government says government cannot do X, that means state governments as well, typically. So when it's saying okay. that the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended, except in cases of war, and, and it gives a couple different examples, and even then it has to be done by the legislature, not by the executive, my understanding would be that that includes the states without the federal government stepping in and saying we can suspend the writ of habeas corpus i don't believe the states can just unilaterally go well, we've got a crisis because otherwise it's toothless so i mean that may be the case yeah. but i mean i'll let chris yeah, answer that, that if again was, yeah i wasn't 100 percent sure on that and i didn't want people coming back being like yeah but the new york legislature has the right to whatever blah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. which is why yeah. i want which is why i wanted to clarify it because i wasn't sure i do i i think that you are right mm-hmm. But I also couldn't find anything to say you are right or wrong. No. Now, we have an example uh, from the past when an executive did illegally hold people uh, basically to silence dissenters. Back in 1861, Abraham Lincoln. Real real quick, the only time this has ever happened before. Yeah, this is the first. What we're seeing in New York is the first time that habeas corpus has been suspended since the Civil War. In 160 years. 160 years. 159 years ago. Suspended in 1861 by Abraham Lincoln to silence dissenters in Maryland who were upset that Maryland didn't secede from the Union and didn't want to be a part of the uh, want to be a part of the um, uh, the, the yeah. Civil War effort for the Union. Uh, a man named John Merriman was arrested for being a secessionist and held after being denied a writ of habeas corpus. A federal circuit court judge, Justice Roger B. Taney, he issued a ruling, uh, ex parte Merriman, uh, denying the president's authority to suspend habeas corpus. Taney denounced Lincoln's interference with civil liberties and argued that only Congress had the power to suspend the writ because that's what the Constitution said. Lincoln said, shockingly, we have a case of a rebellion and the public safety does require or as one might say today, we have a crisis within a crisis, a civil unrest crisis with the overarching COVID-19 crisis. Yeah. In other words, the government is demonstrating that if they want to hold you against your will and hold you without any charge for as long as they want to, just because they will. And Republicans and Democrats have held hands together since shortly before Abraham Lincoln was, was elected. It's pretty much the time span there. And said that this is the system that they've created and the system that they will enforce against you. And it will never change until the people in charge change. And not just the individual politicians, but the people 
who have the entire ethos behind why they're in office. Are they there to entrench the current system or are they there to dismantle it? There are no Republicans and, and Democrats who want to dismantle it. Only libertarians want to dismantle it. And if you think about it, what what this honestly means is terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying yes. for the First Amendment mm-hmm. because if you go out and dissent vocally and you go past curfew or your protest permit, which goes against the First Amendment in so many other ways already, being yep. that we have a right to peacefully assemble, but now you need a permit to do it. But you could go out there and get arrested for this. And in New York right now, possibly other places later, who knows, they may not release you for an unknown amount of time. Yep. Because they say, no, this is a crisis. We can't do that because the precedent is there. And that's the problem. I'm trying to find a picture of it. Uh, in Myrtle Beach, another example, there was a uh, there was a protest where they didn't get the required permits, which are completely unconstitutional to tell people that they can't protest where they want on public property. And uh, I don't know, three dozen students, fewer than 50 people showed up and protested peacefully at the police and the Myrtle Beach Police Department. And the police responded by waiting until 6.02, whenever they, they imposed a curfew immediately without notifying anyone. And within a minute after the curfew that they literally just created ended, without any public review or anything else or even any notification, they started arresting people and holding them. And they told everyone else, get out of here. So the other people left. Now, they then let those people go. It was illegal that they had them in the first place, but they let them go. Imagine if they were still being held. That's what New York City did. They're driving home. If you have a problem, go tell people online about it. Do not come out on the streets and tell anyone, shut up, we don't want to hear you. And I got news for you. If this trend continues, it won't happen tomorrow, it won't happen next week or next month or even next year. Eventually, you won't be allowed to do it at home either. Because they'll say that online is every bit as powerful as in person. Now suddenly you're getting arrested in your home and held without any charge. Especially with uh, Trump's action of labeling Antifa a terrorist organization that we talked about last week. Now... Any person who speaks out against fascism can be labeled a terrorist. Which means they've already codified that you aren't going to get a trial. You're not going to get, you know, your habeas corpus. You're not going to get due process. You're not going to get any of that. You're just going to get held maybe forever. That's what we're facing unless we put people in charge who want to dismantle the system that Republicans and Democrats have put in, have put in place. So speaking of which, so how's the campaign? Campaign's doing great. We uh, we have our new logo, and we had an AMA uh, last week on Friday night that we were doing great. Joe did the first half with me, and then she had to leave for a, a previous engagement that she had for another interview, and I started taking the second half of it. Uh, uh, where it was just me, and I was giving some great answers. Started getting into restorative justice and all sorts of great stuff. Had 1,200 people watching at the same time, and Facebook stopped live streaming for several minutes. So it wasn't even like I could come back and say, hey, guys, I'm back. Done. Show was over. So that was fun, but I did get to reach several people. Uh, 
we are now fully behind. Nipplegate is fully behind us at this point. There are a handful of people that are still upset about it, but they were going to be upset about something. This is the thing they yeah, were upset gonna, about. They were going to be mad about They were going to be mad. This is the thing they're mad about. Uh, what we're What's seeing is uh, the, the, the haters on Reddit not worried about Nipplegate. What are they worried about? Um, that you never went to college. Oh and, my lord! Know, I know. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. I think so. It, and I don't want to lump all of them together. Yeah, yeah. And I will say that Justin Amash has been doing some really great things. He's recently. doing terrific stuff. Really great things. But I think a lot of them are like Amash amigos, and they've been. They were just kind of butthurt about that. It wasn't just a mash that it wasn't just a mash. And they, instead of taking it out on Joe, they're taking it out on on me because you can't take it out on Joe. You have to take it out on the radical. Right. And, and so that's, that's what's happened. And I'm fine with that. I am fine with the lightning bolts coming towards me. If that means that they have more peace with our presidential ticket, because ultimately that's who they have to make the most peace with is Joe. I would much rather a situation where Joe is, you know, they're making peace with Joe and have some residual anger about the fact that I am, in fact, not Justin Amash and probably not the person Justin would have picked. Although ultimately, I mean, there were plenty of Amash Cohen people. There's a possibility that if Amash had gotten it, I would have gotten it too. Um, It's not probable, but it's possible. But all that to say, there are people who, the reason they don't like me is I'm not Larry Sharp. I'm not whoever they think Justin Amash would have picked. I'm not John Mons. There's nothing I can do about that. I have great relationships with all all of these other people. We're going to be campaigning together. We're going to be working together as a team. But, you know, some people are going to be upset, and that's understandable. I do think over time, as they're exposed more to me and as we do more campaigning with the people who they do like and do already, you know, have their, their support for, uh, I think that will continue to, we'll see this trend of continuing to, but, but we're already at the point where the vast majority of people have either made peace with me or are enthusiastic about me. I was on the Tom Woods show, uh, earlier today. I think that's airing tomorrow. And he was someone who did not know what to make of me. He said that on the show. He said, I don't know, don't, don't know what to make of you. Uh, I, you know, I've heard everything from you're destroying the party single-handedly to you're the best thing that this party's ever had, uh, in the, in its 40 year history, or one of the best things we've ever had in its 40 plus year, 49 year history and everything in between. Uh, and he came away pretty impressed. I'll let you guys judge for yourselves. But, uh, uh, he left saying that uh, a few times, uh, he said that no one could have, he couldn't have described it better himself. And he's not sure anyone else could have described whatever the question was better himself. So that that's what's happening. People are getting exposed to me and to Joe and finding that they like what they see. We are homegrown, radical, principled libertarians, and we are presenting our message of setting uh, people free and removing the boot from the neck of the people in a way that is really connecting with libertarian activists and really with people in general. Um, so it's been fantastic. I'm, we're going to be doing more stuff. Joe did her. She went to a, a, a candlelight vigil for Black Lives Matter in New Hampshire. I did the Black Lives Matter protest in Myrtle Beach. Uh, when I get off this show, I'm going to be talking to uh, a, a local civil rights attorney and criminal criminal defense attorney uh, to talk about building relationships in South Carolina with civil rights people uh, so that we can uh, you know push our, our, our campaign ideas to them and also to represent them because they're not being represented and they know it. And they know that Democrats are pandering as absolute minimum that they have to with the idea that they will go right back to ignoring them the other, you know, three years and seven months of, of, of every presidential election cycle. So uh, so the campaign's going fantastically and we are just uh, moving forward every single day. Well, that's good. Yeah. 
It's good. It's good stuff. So we look through the Wow, we have a lot of comments. Um, we, yeah, we've got a lot of comments. So. Yeah, so there, okay, so someone mentions this, and I, I, I got an inbox about it, and I'm not sure if it's real or they just like the hashtag or the acronym, but I'm all about it. Uh, Dad bods against government, hashtag D bag. And I want to know more, because if this is a legit thing, I want to be a part of it. If it's just a joke, I kind of want to be a part of that too, because it's funny. Um, so yeah, but we are we're continuing to move forward and uh to that end, we have a fantastic episode tomorrow on my fellow Americans. Don't look at this Chris Reynolds. Um great episode coming up. We are having uh something called Guns, Police and Self-Protection, which is a forum featuring Antonia Okafor Cover, uh who is the director of outreach for the Gun Owners of America and the founder of Empowered, which is an organization that uh, seeks to uh, empower women and com- uh, marginalized communities to uh, protect themselves through the, the exercising of their Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. Uh, and Marshall Tig Davis, who is a professional firearms instructor and also the owner of My Sister's Keeper, which is a uh, an, another gun rights organization for women, particularly women of color, but women in general. And we're going to be talking about gun rights, the Second Amendment, police brutality, civil liberties, self-protection, everything within that orbit. Um, And uh, it's going to be a really great conversation we're going to be having tomorrow uh, right here on Muddy Waters Media on My Fellow Americans at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Be sure to tune in. Uh, If we have time, I'll be taking taking, uh, questions from the commenters. Uh, At the very least, I'll probably be sharing some of the comments, but but we have a pretty action-packed discussion planned as it already is. Um, and then on, do we have anything before Tuesday? Not, not that I know of, but Jason I, Lyon, Mr. America, the bearded truth could always surprise us. And yeah. Cause another. he did, he did one, uh, this Monday, right? Or Friday, Thursday, I think Thursday. That's awesome. I think it was Thursday. So Mr. Yeah, America, no, the bearded he just, truth. He, he said, is anybody streaming right now? And we, I said, no. And because you were you were getting ready for an AMA, I think. I'm sure that's true. Um, yeah. So I think you were getting ready for the. I think you were getting ready for the AMA that got cut off. Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. I've got. I mean, my calendar is filled. You're going to see me on plenty of different things, which I'll be sharing on Muddy Waters and uh, and and my page, Spike Cohen. Uh, and uh, I will. Uh, be doing all i'll probably be in a dozen things between now and tuesday and then uh next tuesday be sure to tune in uh uh, tuesday at 8 p.m eastern right back here for the muddy waters of freedom where we will parse through the week's events like the sweet summer boys that we are (laughs) melissa marie um yeah jason jason is a great guy i appreciate bearded dude um jason Oh, Jason's fantastic. You'll love Jason. Jason's fantastic. What's funny is the reason that he is on our channel is because he had a competing show with us and we decided that we should just have him join us as opposed to Yeah, I'm like we show. don't I, yeah, I'm like we don't want to compete with this guy. Let's bring him on so we don't have to. And he's been we love him. He is fantastic. He is just yeah, love, amazing. Love Jason, love, love his family, love uh love, love that entire clan. Oh, speaking of which, on my uh, profile filter that has the Jorgensen Cohen profile uh, frame for my my personal account, 
that uh, his wife, Kelsey Lyon, designed that. So most of these people that have, in fact, including Melissa, who has the Jorgensen Cohen swoop profile uh, frame that most people are using, uh, his wife, Jason's wife, Kelsey, uh, Kelsey designed that. He's not better than Guy on Wright. He is not. So, Matt, if anyone were looking for us on the Internet, uh, how would they even do that? Uh, you can head over to anchor.fm slash muddiedwaters where you can listen to every single episode that we have. Um, you can also leave us messages that we will play live on the air. And if you are so inclined and want to continue to see great programming, the great quality programming that you have come accustomed to see, you can hit the old support button. Uh, you can also find this and every other episode at muddiedwatersmedia.com. Calm. Well, that is fantastic, and uh, we hope to see you on all the different things that we're on. We are on every social media platform, muddywatersmedia.com and anchor.fm slash muddywaters uh, if you want to do the podcast. Or, again, if you want to, leave us questions. Please leave us questions. We love your questions. So, yes. folks, thanks again for tuning in. I will see you tomorrow at my forum with the, uh, with the, the ladies about uh, talking about guns and police brutality and civil rights and everything else. And uh, we will see you next week. And where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs>